Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. We began a new series last week called Back on Track, because let's face it, it has been a difficult year. For a lot of us, we would say it's been the most mentally and emotionally challenging year of our lives. Four out of 10 people report an increase in anxiety and depression this last year. People have also reported an increase in difficulty sleeping, an increase in eating, an increase in alcohol and substance abuse. We've been worried about a lot of things this year. We've been worried about our health and our family members, and we've been worried about our friends and our marriages may have struggled. We've all had disruption. Students, if you're a student, you've had a tough year too. You have been isolated more than you ever have in your lives. You may have even gotten really used to that. Maybe you even started to like it, right? But you need that personal connection with people to function well, and you haven't had as much of it. A friend of mine was describing this to me, the situation that a lot of families can relate to right now. Their kids are in online school and the parents are both working from home, but even though they were in the same house, they hardly saw each other or spoke to one another during these long days. All of these things lead to a greater possibility of spiritual dryness. We talked about that in week one of this series and also leads to isolation and addictive behaviors and yes, depression and anxiety. We're doing this series because we don't think that we should hide these things anymore in the church. We don't think it's okay to pretend like everything's okay. We wanna make it normal for us to say, hey, I need help because we all at some point need help. Last year, my son, Luke, who was 15 at the time, he tore his ACL and his meniscus in his knee playing basketball, and I hated to see it happen. It was painful for him, it was painful for me to watch and to feel helpless about. And as soon as it happened, we went to the doctor, he got an MRI, we got with a surgeon, and he had the procedure and he recovered. Why? Because that's what you do. What if Luke had said, I feel guilty that I had this injury. I'm ashamed. It's not really real. I ought to be able to think my way past it. I ought to be able to just start thinking differently and my knee will work fine. It's not an important enough injury for, for me to deal with. I mean, it's not like it's my heart or my brain or anything like that. What if he had said that? If he did that, we would say, what is wrong with you? That's what doctors and surgeons are for. One of the problems with mental illness is that we don't see it the same way as a torn ACL, that there's a stigma, there's shame, there's blame, there's embarrassment, and there's this attitude of, I should be able to handle this on my own. Our goal is not to try to fix you, it's to shine light into the darkness to let you know that it's okay to ask for help, it's okay to not be okay, and also that God doesn't want you to stay that way. If I say anything wise today, by the way, please know it's probably either from the Bible or it's from some experts in the field that I'm relying on. People like Brene Brown and Larry Crabb and Gordon McDonald and other therapists, friends of mine who are smarter than me. Let me ask you this. What 
defines you, like what describes who you are. There's a lot to say about that, but if you struggle with anxiety and depression, you start to feel like that is what defines you. But here's what we want you to know, and this is the truth, it doesn't have to. Jesus was constantly defining and redefining the people he was around. And what I mean by that is that he was regularly reminding them of what mattered, of what God saw in them, as opposed to what other people said about them and saw in them. So there's this story of Jesus interacting with a guy who was blind. And there are so many parallels to what he goes through and what it's like to deal with depression and anxiety that I wanna share this story with you and tease out a few of the points that Jesus is making here. It's from the book of uh, John, a book of the Bible written by the Apostle John from chapter nine, and it has to be one of the longest interactions that we get between Jesus and this man he healed and then the other people around who witnessed this. Here's how it goes. As he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Blame and shame are very, very powerful things, like very powerful. Some of you have lived under the curse of blame and shame most of your lives. Let me ask this. Do you hear the assumption in this question? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The assumption is this. Somebody caused your illness. In this case, somebody must have done something wrong to cause you to be blind. This clearly is God's judgment on you or, or on your parents. You did something that he didn't like and, and he's punishing you for it. It's amazing how many of us live with the concept of a vindictive God. It's also amazing how many people who struggle with anxiety and depression feel like it's their fault. Here's what happens. You hear from people like me, or your parents, or your friends, or you even pull a verse of the Bible out of context, and you hear this message, don't worry. Which makes sense, right? Don't worry, don't be anxious about anything. I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? And, and, and so that becomes our message to people who are struggling with anxiety and depression. Don't worry, just don't do it. Don't act that way. But what you're really hearing is, don't feel the way you feel. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't always tell my feelings what to do. And then those of us who are delivering that message can even get frustrated at the person and be like, why, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you doing what I told you to do? I told you not to worry. When all along they're thinking, don't you think I've been telling myself not to worry? Don't you know that I tell myself every single day? Don't you know that I tell myself to feel better or to be happier? Don't you think that if I could control it that way that I would? Do you really think that they can think their way out of it? If that's all that it was, there wouldn't be much anxiety and depression around. The underlying assumption when you try to use logic and rationalization with people is that it's your fault you can control this. And if you cause yourself to feel that way, then, then you can certainly cause yourself to not feel that way. And what does that do? It lumps the blame for it right on them. Just like the disciples did. Now pay attention to this. It wasn't even the Pharisees, the religious leaders that did this. It wasn't the religious leaders who Jesus chastised all the time who said this. It was his own disciples. Friends who are dealing with mental health issues, sometimes those closest to you simply don't understand. 
And I am sorry about that. Disciples who are listening to this right now, we need to do a better job of understanding what is going on and allowing for the fact that it's not their fault. <clears throat> Some of you think, if I tell them it's not their fault, hey, it just lets them off the hook, right? And they'll never get better. When actually the opposite is true. When I communicate to you that I know that you simply can't think or feel your way out of this, you know what I'm doing? I'm building a bridge. I, I, we're stepping onto some, some common ground now. We're building a little bit of trust and that can bring us to a pathway that leads to healing. Jesus sees through this, he's amazing. And in one comment, he blows an entire worldview out of the water when it comes to how we approach illness. Here's what he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Two things here, first is this, this isn't his fault. Being blind isn't his fault, Jesus is saying. It's not something that he did. He didn't steal from somebody when he was a kid and, and God struck him blind. His parents didn't like work on the Sabbath day a bunch of times or, or had affairs with other people or whatever and God struck their child with a disease. Imagine what the man felt in that moment that Jesus said those words. It's a glimmer of hope. If you're struggling with depression and anxiety, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. If you struggle with mental illness, you feel the same thing that sometimes like abuse victims feel, like, like somehow it's your fault, you must have caused it somehow. You, you aren't capable of working your way out of it and therefore it's your fault. Guess what? It's not your fault. Maybe it's time to start to walk in that freedom. The second thing that happens is this, and it is equally amazing, Jesus takes it a step further. Not only is it not your fault, but you have this condition for a reason, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God sees your greatest deficiency as his greatest opportunity. Your weaknesses are there so God can show his power. Isn't that an incredible way to look at weaknesses? We, we look at them as, you know, weaknesses, as deficiencies, as things that make us less than. And if you've suffered with any mental health issues, anxiety, stress, depression, I can almost guarantee that it has made you feel less than. Think about this man, blind, his whole life. From birth, it says he had no idea what it even meant to be able to see only that he was missing something. That because he couldn't see, he had something that caused others to see him as less than. He couldn't see, and in some ways, that had made him invisible to them. Not to Jesus though, you are never ever invisible to Jesus. And then Jesus does something that I don't think he does anywhere else when he heals somebody, but he does it for this man. He spits on the ground and he mixes it with dirt and, and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. This blind man goes with mud on his eyes to this pool, he washes it off and then he's able to see. If you're looking for healing, if you're, you're ready to move forward, if you are asking God for help, let me tell you this, part of your healing depends on you. Jesus wants you to experience freedom and peace and joy, and he can do that in your life, but it will always involve you too. Sometimes I wonder if he hears our prayers to take this, 
you know, take this cup from me. And he says, I will, but you have to do what I have put in front of you to do. You have to walk to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes out. And that could look like admitting you have a problem to someone close to you, finally admitting it. Or it could look like going to get counseling. It could look like beginning to take medication to help with a chemical imbalance. It could look like, yes, praying for healing and placing your ultimate faith in him for, for that. All of those things can happen without contradicting each other. God's the healer. And in his, his infinite wisdom, he has determined that part of your healing depends on you. So what do you need to do? So people began to talk about, and, and talk about this formerly blind man. This healing created a commotion and they couldn't believe that it was actually him. But he insisted that, yeah, I was the blind guy. Now I can see. They asked him, how did this happen? Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash it. And so I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. He said, I don't know. So the people brought him to the Pharisees. They discovered, because of course they missed the point, that, that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath and, and you aren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so, so they said, hey, this guy's not from, from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath law. But some other people were like, hey, if he's a sinner, how does he do things like this? And so it split them. And, and they bring the blind man back in, back in front of them. And they said, what do you have to say about this man? And the man said, he's a, a prophet. And they still didn't believe that it had happened. And, and so they went to the man's parents and they asked his parents, they said, is this your son? The, this guy, was he born blind? Was he really born blind? They said, yep, that's our son. And he was born blind. But, but listen, we don't know how this healing happened. Why don't you go and ask him yourself? He can speak for himself. They were afraid of what the Pharisees could do to them. They could throw them out of the, the, the synagogue. And so they go back to the blind man a second time and they say, tell us the truth this time. What happened? Here's what it says. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Which is like funny, funny stuff. And they got mad. They got into an argument with him and then they threw the blind, the formerly blind man out of their presence. God is working in your life right now. Who are you telling? Like your responsibility is to see the work of God that he's doing in your life and to tell people about it. It's that simple. And, and, and we sometimes make following Jesus into just belief, but faith without actions isn't really faith. And so even, listen, in the middle of things, even when you haven't experienced complete healing, even though you walk with a limp, are you able to identify what God has done? And are you willing to tell people about his goodness in your life? That's all he's really asking us to do. And then this one final amazing scene happens. Jesus hears that the man's been thrown out of the synagogue and he tracks him down. He goes, Jesus goes after him. He looks for him because he doesn't want to leave him with simply, listen, a physical healing. And sometimes that's the thing we want the most. But he knows that there's much more that we need healing for. 
This is an incredible scene. Jesus goes to him and he says, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. In other words, he's me. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. To Jesus, this was the healing that needed to happen. This is why he helped the man see, not just so he could have that physical healing, but so that, that he could open his eyes and see Jesus and follow him and give his life to him and worship him. And any physical or mental or emotional healing that you experience is ultimately so that you will be able to recognize that God is the God of salvation. It's so people around you can see him. So if you're going through depression and anxiety, it's not your fault. It's actually so God might be glorified and he wants you to experience wholeness, he does. It's just that you may have to participate in this healing in some ways. You may have some steps to take. And ultimately his desire is for you to surrender and to tell the people around you about him. Here are some steps to consider taking. And this is for everybody walking with a limp. Tell somebody what you're struggling with. Tell somebody. Take steps to participate in your own healing. And remember to tell people about God's goodness. I wanna end with a few more comments today too. How do you know if you need to get help? Like if your depression or anxiety is keeping you from doing the things that you need and want to do, if it's keeping you from being the person that you want to be, if it's separating you from the ones you love, then I hope you will consider getting help. If, if you're having trouble finding hope and, and believing that things can be better, then I hope you'll consider getting help. If anxiety is causing you to be constantly worried to, to believe that bad things are gonna happen if you don't do things a certain way, if anxiety won't go away, then I hope you'll consider getting help. And if you feel like you're not worth getting help, then I hope you'll consider getting help because you are worth it. And if you feel, listen, like hurting yourself or that the world would be a better place if you were not in it, then it is really time to get some help right away. Call somebody, call us, message us, tell a parent or a teacher or a friend. You might need some, someone to help you get that help or even get you to the emergency room and that's okay. Like we are here for each other. In the words of Jesus, it's not your fault this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in you. Let's pray. God, there's so much that we're just scratching the surface of today and there's so many people around us who are struggling right now with anxiety, struggling with depression, struggling with mental health issues, would you just, first of all, help us to be honest with one another? And then God, would you just continue to give a glimpse of your hope to us today that not because we can do this on our own, not because we can make ourselves feel better, not because any of that, but because your Holy Spirit through your power you invite us into wholeness and healing. Now, God, we also understand today that that may just mean that we have to take a step 
that we have to move forward. And that could mean talking to somebody, that could mean sharing what's going on, it could mean asking for help, it could mean setting up a counseling appointment, it could mean going to the emergency room, it could just mean uh, that we, we own this with our community and we, we, we talk to our family about how we're feeling and we invite help in. Would you give us the courage today, the courage to take the steps that we need to take. God, we pray this in your powerful name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we wanna encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.